Welcome to Cancer for Breakfast with Amy and Steph. I'm Amy. And I'm Steph. try to make cancer for breakfast safe and comfortable for everyone, it may not be suitable for all audiences and is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors. We didn't even go to podcasting school. (laughs) Hi, Amy. Hi, Steph. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day! It's the Mother's Day episode of Cancer for Breakfast. It really is. Welcome. We're going to try not to make anyone cry. Oh. Just kidding. (laughs) We can't try that. False promises. Um, This is definitely going to be a heart wrencher. So if you... um, you know, if you're tender about motherhood, if you are somebody who has struggled with making your family look the way that you wanted it to look mm-hmm. because cancer stole those dreams from you. So unfair. We understand if you need to tap out. We do. But also know that we think it's bullshit. We do. And it sucks. And everybody should get to have the family they want and get to have the experiences that they want and have the relationship with their own mother that they want to, if that's a hard one for you as well. Exactly. Moms, man. Oh, we're the worst. <laughs> Just kidding. We are the worst. Well, okay. With that being said, we have a great grip of letters to read. We've got a great rats. We do. We don't really have much news to share, so I guess we can just get going. Yeah. Amy, what are you doing for Mother's Day? Um, Kevin got me a massage. Oh, la la. So we'll probably just like, you know, hang out in the yard and eat popsicles and lay around and play. I don't know. Yeah. What about you? Um, My kids always make me some nice homemade cards. Listen, Josie's like only two. She doesn't know how to write yet. Oh. Okay. Don't make me feel bad. Um, you should clue Kevin into the fact that he can just like trace her hand and get her to color over it. And, you know. I should like leave a bunch of pens and crayons and paper on the table before I go to sleep. You should. You should. He just, you know, she's at the age. I've been waiting my whole life for a homemade card. Yes. They're a joy. Um, my kids usually make me some sort of horrible breakfast in bed situation. Um, that is so mean of you. <laughs> I love it and I love them, but it's always something I would never, ever choose to eat. But um, they're so sweet. And then usually we like go to the garden center or something and they pick out some flowers mm. for me. Yes. And um, I make them do physical labor in the yard. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and Very um, nice. yeah, I'm, I'm lucky. They're old enough now that they can actually give me a decent Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> well, you deserve it. Speaking of hammocks. Nathan, (laughs) Steph told me behind the scenes, if you're listening, Nathan, she wants a hammock for Mother's Day. So, I mean, I don't know if you've already told him, but I just feel like I do want a hammock for Mother's Day. It's just get her one. God, it's true. All right. All right. And I want flowers, Kevin. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm totally kidding. Amy, is this your third Mother's Day? It's my third Mother's Day. Um. Yeah, so last Mother's Day, I was going through chemo, or was I on a break from chemo? I don't remember. I think I might have just ended chemo, waiting for radiation. Somewhere in the middle of the process. And then the Mother's Day before that was so weird to look back on, actually, because I was not diagnosed with cancer at that time. I did have cancer growing in my boob that I did not know about. I think Josie was like maybe around nine months old at the time, and... I cried like all day secretly, like whenever I would be like alone in a room or like outside in the yard, like waiting for Kevin to come out with a pizza. I just start crying. Like, I'm I'm not kidding you, like eight or nine times throughout the day because I was so overwhelmed with the idea that I've known my entire fucking life that moms can die. Yeah. 
But as a new mom on that day, I suddenly realized, like, as a mom, the mother's perspective on that, like having to leave your kid when you love them so, so much. And they're like, your entire reason for even being suddenly feels like it's to make everything okay for that kid and Mm -hmm. protect them. And yeah. And then to know that for those people that do die, knowing that they're going to like to for that, I just was thinking about some of my friends and like, sorry, this is a little bit dark to like, just be like, Hey, moms die. But like, that's all right. It's reality. I mean, it's definitely something that I have to think about. I know. And a lot of people do. Yeah. And a lot of people listening, which is also why I'm like, sorry, because like, I don't know. It's just, it's too much. Well, I'm not going to apologize for the reality of cancer. Our listeners are smart enough to know know that when you're listening to a cancer podcast and it's a Mother's Day episode, it's probably going to come up. Right. And maybe I feel weird because I'm like, I'm technically out of treatment and I was stage two, but it's like the whole fucking thing with cancer is that it kills you. So like exactly. yeah. my, my brush with death is still real and it's also still a possibility with yeah. recurrence. Anyway, this was a fucking weird day though, because what brought it up for me is I had, I have like a handful of friends who are adults and whose mothers died as adults, like maybe in the last like five years or so, but mm-hmm. they're very close friends of mine and I've talked to them very much in depth about this experience and of losing their mom. Up until this point, I had always been their peer. And so I'd been seeing it as the adult child, Mm -hmm. the dying mother. But suddenly I was seeing it from the mom's perspective and my heart just broke in a way that I cannot even explain. And I think it's like when you become a mom, like I kind of explain it like where it really does feel like your heart cracks open and your I just feel like your chest just breaks open and it just like doesn't go back together. Yeah. Like you're just oozing this like vulnerable love that is so much more vulnerable than any other love you've ever had but so much stronger so like you're not even trying to protect yourself even though it feels vulnerable you know yeah like I even just like remember being in labor with Josie and I was having these awful contractions and I like wasn't dilating but just having contractions forever and the contractions felt like these tiny little knives stabbing me in the stomach is how I explained it later. But Mm -hmm. there was no bracing myself for them. There was no like instinctually you'd kind of like want to like bear down with your stomach and hold it tight or put your hands across your stomach and like, yeah, keep it condensed to make the contraction not feel like knives were stabbing you. But there was literally nothing that could get in the way of those knives that were stabbing you. And I kind of feel like that's also the way once you open up with this love like there's just there isn't even a want to protect yourself like the way that it is when you are madly in love with a guy in college or a woman you know yeah and you're like so stoked about them but you're still like a little bit protecting yourself a little bit no matter how big your emotions are right but with the kid you just jump all the fucking way in and yeah and I was just kind of processing all of that and just thinking about like it's your job to protect this kid and to make sure they're not sad and to know that like you might be the cause of them being sad and the just the fucking weight of it is also heavy to be suddenly a mom right like something might happen to this kid yeah and like that that's just not a possibility and also something might happen to me and that's not a possibility right and then I found out I had cancer and so like I actually thought about that first mother's day a lot kind of through my treatment and of course i did the like was that because i subconsciously knew that something was in me that was going to kill me and (laughs) that i was going to be dead um which no 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 but but like i will also say like i i had texted those friends of mine that day and i sent them these like long texts that were like hey i know this sounds totally weird but i've like been crying all day because i keep thinking about how like as a mom how much we love our children and i just like i need to tell you for your mom that your mom loves you and you're you know like a mother's love it doesn't just go away with the body or with them like it is so big and otherworldly like it just keeps going and like I'm sorry that she's not here to tell you that right now, but I just like, I have to, as like a service to other mothers, fucking tell you that your mom loves you. And like, but then the crazy part is like, 
of course, through treatment, I was like, oh, great. Now one of those people is going to go fucking read that text at my funeral. And like, (laughs) but that's just because, you know, cancer makes you crazy and have all sorts of crazy daydreams. So anyway, so that's kind of my like dramatic, sad fucking Mother's Day story. I like have not told very many people that story because it's kind of crazy. Like Kevin, does, I don't think he'll listen to this episode. I'll probably tell him not to because it's too dark. But like, I didn't even tell him, even though he was home, yeah. that I kept crying. I just kept like wiping it away and act, just, you know, oh, hey, are we going to go get a nice coffee in a little bit? You know, just like, because <laughs> I did not want to deal with <laughs> yeah. being like, mom's dying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is, you know, it's such a heavy burden to bear to just like be in the community of mothers. And I totally get it. I mean, when my oncologist first asked me, do you want to talk prognosis? Like, is that even a thing that you ever want to talk about? And I said, no, I don't really, you know, not at least not right now. But um, I want you to just get me to a point where my death does not define my children's childhood. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, that was like, all I could think about, you know, it was all I could think about. I don't care about myself, like right. any kind of pain or whatever, like whatever imaginings I had for what my future would look like. Everything was complete back burner. It was just like, how can I spare my kids this, like mm-hmm. completely defining their childhood? And I mean, I am hopeful that that is a possibility now. Yes. But I think it's just that's that's the thing is to be in a community of mothers like you you do feel that so deeply you feel the need to protect your kids other people's kids yeah like that that's just the deal that's the deal with mm-hmm. being a mom and um definitely not everybody has that impulse but right i know i do and obviously yeah. you do and um yeah it's man being a mom is just it is it's just like having an open wound to the world I feel like the, the best way to get like a group of moms just like riled up and immediately I don't I think about that piece of graffiti did you see it um when George Floyd was murdered that like mm. all mothers were summoned when he called out for his, yeah like I cannot even say that without tearing up <laughs> and it's just like it's I know. the that's exactly what it is. Like, I'll run into the fucking yeah. fire. Yeah. Like, people would always tell me, like, you must be so, so glad that you have Josie going through this because she's like this like light and she loves you so much. And you have this thing with all this darkness, this wonderful, bright thing, which it's like, yes, clearly, you know, I'm yeah. very much. But it is sort of a thing where it's like. Yeah, but that also makes it so much fucking harder because I, yeah. just like you, I'm only seeing this through the lens of her. Like, I don't care about me. I don't care. Like, I will let them chop my arm off if yeah, that ensures that, like, for 30 years I'll be here. Yeah. You know, or just something. Yep. 100% just all I cared about was her through her eyes, you know? Yeah. It's fucking hard. It is. Damn it. <sighs> the burden of love. <laughs> <laughs> this is when they make jokes about moms being martyrs. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <sighs> oh, we're crazy. We're crazy. We I are love it. crazy. It's fun. Um, Should we, we transition into some letters? I mean, fuck it. Let's party. <laughs> <laughs> I do have I do have some letters though. We have an embarrassment of riches this week. An embarrassment of riches. We are burdened by good letters. <laughs> um this letter is from a wonderful woman named Susan and th- she wrote us this forever ago. Um and this gave us the idea to do a Mother's Day episode. So yes. thank you for that, Susan. Um We owe it all to you, Susan. Yeah, we do. She says, hi there. Your first episode was awesome, and I look forward to a bunch of them. Hope she's still listening. (laughs) Okay. Um, A couple of weeks before my scheduled mammogram, I found a small lump in my left breast. It turned out to be invasive ductal carcinoma. 
I had surgery about three weeks ago, and things are looking good because it was still stage one. Very, very glad to hear that. Yeah. But I had in many ways been waiting for this to happen my entire life. You see, I was four years old when my mom discovered she had breast cancer in 1954, and I was eight when she died in 1958. And while changing into a gown for my biopsy, the torrent of painful memories suddenly overflowed. Children back in the 50s were rarely talked to about how they were feeling and coping or not coping in the midst of serious family illness. To make matters worse, children were not allowed to visit their parents' room in the hospital. The whole situation was brutal. Mm. I'm wondering if you could sometimes share how you and your partners and others in your families are supporting your children during your treatment and recovery process. Thank you so much, Susan. No, thank you so much, Susan. Yeah. Um, that is brutal. And my heart breaks for Susan's family that that's the way things were back then. It's just like, yeah, unimaginable and so confusing for the kids. Mm -hmm. I know, Amy, that Josie was so little when you were going through treatment, but my kids are 11, nine and five. And, um, I have been so impressed with the resources that are available at my cancer center. Um, mm -hmm. They have a whole family resource center, which has books and handouts and pamphlets. In non-COVID times, they have support groups. The social workers will work with you and your partner to figure out how you want to include your kids, how you want to explain things to your kids. They have lots and lots of of just general resources for how to explain what's happening and how to help them cope. Um, their grief therapists and just mm -hmm. all kinds of things. So things have really changed yeah, a lot for the better. And, you know, I don't know that my way is the right way, but we have been pretty honest with the kids from the get go about what was happening with me. We did wait until I had an actual diagnosis to tell them for sure. But uh, we told them, you know, that I have cancer and I'm taking medication for it. And they did ask if I could die from it and um, if people do die from cancer. And I told them, yes, that that was possible. But I have great doctors who are doing their best. And, you know, luckily, my kids have a good foundation in trusting science. And right. we have tried to be really honest and authentic with them, kind of just from the jump. And so they do know that there's a culture in our family of being able to ask questions and get honest answers. And mm -hmm. I do think that that has really helped us out. But obviously, it still sucks. And it's still really sad. And I am not a children's therapist. So I don't right. always know what to say. I don't know how to explain what's happening to them. Um, and to be real, there's just like no way to avoid that it's traumatizing. Right. You know, like we, we muddle through the best that we can. And yeah. Have there been books that you've read or been recommended that you think we should list off or could we put a list of, of books and resources in the notes of the show? I'm so glad that you asked, Amy. <laughs> I have. I, I mean, I feel like I just asked really naturally and then you just made it seem like that was already a plan. So like, Okay, listen, I'm sorry. I do love being prepared. <laughs> I, mean, God. I like Just to come give, on. Just kidding. I like to give the impression that I'm very prepared for things. Okay. But I don't know that this would come off as normal to have just this list at the ready. So you anyway, are the type of person though that you're so smart and well spoken. I wouldn't be surprised if you were like, you know, one that I loved was by Maria Harper Ratcliffe and it <laughs> oh well i just blew it then but i'm just since you asked yeah did you list. tell us hey so there is this list that i carry in my pocket <laughs> here in case anyone asks this question um but i do think that like in all seriousness books are a really great way to try to sort of sneak in some of this content with your kids and um one thing that I really try to look for is books that 
actually look like real picture books and not mm-hmm. books that look like hospital handouts. Right. And like, no offense to the graphic designers making hospital handouts. They have a valuable job. But I mean, my kids at least can spot the difference pretty quickly. So if you're just trying to like make it be a normal thing and not like you're sitting them down for a lecture, I find it's beneficial if the books look legitimate. Yeah. And there are a few that we have really liked. There's one called A Kid's Book About Cancer. And um, it's part of a series that's just a kid's book about. And they have like a kid's book about racism. Mm -hmm. They have a kid's book about many different things. And this one is really great. It's just pretty simple graphics, um, really high quality. And it's by Dr. Kelsey Storm and Sarah Porter. And it talks about what cancer is, what it does to your body, the fact that it's nobody's fault, you know, mm-hmm. it just happens, um, what different treatments look like. And so that one's really good. It's like for all different cancers. It's very straightforward. Um, and that one has has been great for my kids to kind of refer back to when they have a question that's like just science based, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, And then there is also one that I really like that's specific to breast cancer. That's by Laura Numeroff, who's the author of, um, like, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. Oh, right. And those other books. We have those. Yep. Yep. Um, And hers is called The Hope Tree. And it's really cute. It's um, the format is like a bunch of little animals in a support group. Mm. For animals whose parents have breast cancer. And um, it's just, it's very sweet and um, really does a great job of answering a lot of kids' questions and, you know, empathizing with how they're feeling. Do you know if if she has a history of breast cancer in her family or herself or what is her interest in? I don't know, but my guess would be that she does because it's just it's really well done. Mm. So either she had a good consultant or or she knows. Yeah, she knows. The well, I'm, I'm partially just asking because before I make fun of her, I wanted to know if I shouldn't because she's Ooh. one of our tribe. But you know what, though, um, we can make fun of other cancer people. That's, that's true. That is one of the only benefits of being a cancer person. <laughs> <laughs> but. I do want to say this because the this is a little off topic, but I've I've wanted to make fun of this book and I haven't like had the avenue to make fun of it. And so maybe and now you podcast have a podcast, is, but not about her uh, breast cancer book. Obviously, <laughs> that sounds awesome. But you've been shit posting about her <laughs> numera for years with no traction. <laughs> but her little give a animal a pancake or give a pig a cookie or whatever yeah uh but one of them is if you give a pig a party Uh uh-huh and i i have to make fun of this because it is so funny it's like this pig wants to have a party or a slumber party or something for its friends and like does all this stuff to get ready for the party but then he calls all of his friends and his friends are at home so the pig goes looking for his friends i hope we don't get sued for giving away this quick little spoiler (laughs) The pig finds all of his friends at the freaking fair, like riding the go-karts together. And then the story just goes on like, and then they all go back to the pig's house. But nowhere in the story is it like, excuse me, excuse me, why are all the pig's friends at the go-kart fair and they didn't invite the fucking pig? Yeah. These are not your friends, pig. You know, like he's home trying to have a party and none of his friends can be found. But the, there, it's just like a, a little passing page in the book. It's That's just like, oh, there they are. Now they all came to my house. Blah, blah, blah. So I've been just making fun of that in my mind every time I read it. Like, <laughs> who let this get published like this? You know, get some better friends, pig. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, pig. We forgot to invite you. Oh, we thought you knew that the go-kart fair was in town. <laughs> it's just it's funny. Anyway, that's lovely that this wonderful woman wrote this book to help cancer patients' children. Wouldn't it be cool if we could, instead of having a cancer podcast, if we could just have a podcast about uh, us talking shit about children's books? Yes, I want that podcast. Maybe it could be like a bonus episode of this podcast, like yeah. every three weeks, and everyone will be like, "What's the what's the tie in here?" And the like listeners will be like, "I don't fucking know. These bitches are crazy. I have no idea why they do this." They they hate Dr. Seuss. 
I I was we I actually was just making fun of Dr. Seuss before this episode, but for separate reasons. But mm-hmm. Dr. Seuss is is make funnable. Yeah, no lie. Um. Anyway, another book that I really like is um is called When a Kid Like Me Fights Cancer, and that that one's obviously more for kids who have cancer, but that one is by Catherine Steyer, S-T-I-E-R. And um, what I really liked about this one is that it's like really encouraging and fun and stuff. It's got all the like posy shit that you want in a kid's book about mm-hmm. cancer. But um, it also is really validating as far as like feeling sad and being scared. Um, it does not brush over, you know, those, those topics. It, it does validate you feeling sad and crying and things like yeah. that. So I, I appreciated that. And then I would be remiss if I did not talk about my friend Genevieve uh, Elvram or Genevieve Castre is the name that she published under her board book um, called A Bubble that she created while she was dying um, for her mm-hmm. daughter. And it is a heartbreaker. I do not... I don't say that lightly. It will wreck you, but it's beautiful. And um, I think that like the fact of the matter is some kids need a book that explains why their mom is dying or that their mom is dying. And um, I can't imagine it being done in a more beautiful way than she did with that book. Um, So I would say give it some trial runs of you reading it before you attempt to read it to your child God. because it will destroy you. But, um, but yeah, buy it. I'll put links to all of these in the show notes. It is crazy how many levels this topic even has to it. Like first it's just finding a decent book that isn't, that fits your situation, right? Because everyone's yeah. situation is so different and you don't want to be reading a book about how mommy's losing her hair and all of this stuff. If you're not going to lose your hair or about um, being cured and being healthy and everything's fine. If you're not going to be cured, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's finding the right thing. But then also like once you have that, having to read that out loud to the little people you love the most and you don't want to see hurt, but then also you can't protect them from everything. Yeah. And like sometimes rather than trying to like break it down and say it the right way yourself, it is frankly just easier to rely on a book to do it. You know, not everybody has the tools to talk about it, Um, especially not like all the time. And when you're really bummed, like, yeah, parenting on its own is hard enough. But parenting and like trying to be a therapist, too, is not an easy task. Yeah, it's so hard. Yeah. I mean, I can't even explain why the fucking pig's friends didn't invite him to the party. (laughs) Do you want me to read this stuff? What? I don't want you to. I I think that, like, I'm glad for you and glad for Josie that hopefully this will be a thing that you look at in pictures when she's bigger. And, you know, she says, oh, yeah, like, I remember from pictures when you had cancer, but it's not something that's part of her consciousness. Yeah. And I mean, I tried like also to answer this woman's letter. Um, Susan's for me, like my daughter was young enough when I was going through treatment that I really don't think she is going to remember it. But I also don't try to like pretend that didn't happen by like you're saying, like we have pictures we look at just like we look at a bunch of pictures from when she was a baby and talk about different things about them you know especially when they're around this age they love pictures of when Mm -hmm. they're a baby and then whenever there's like the bald one I say do you remember when when mama didn't have hair and then she'll say yeah I don't know if she really does or (laughs) she says (laughs) she does and then but I don't like say like that's when mom was sick I don't like do any of that stuff because I do think she's still too young kind of but I mean that stuff will come because I don't want it to be like you know a giant surprise when she's eight or like if I did have a um recurrence recurrence I was gonna say a relapse (laughs) (laughs) um and then she finds out that that had been a part of our past and I hadn't you know like so and, and I still obviously go to the doctor all the time and 
and I always tell her I'm going to the doctor. I'm not lying. You know, if I have two appointments in one week, I'm not like, maybe I should tell her I'm going to the store because, yeah. you know, like I'm just like, whatever, because yeah. it's just kind of what's going on. But but yeah, I, I haven't had to read any stories or any of that stuff. But but she also has friends who have uh, moms who have gone through treatment or are going through treatment that she, when it's safe, will be playing with again. Yeah. And yeah. so so hopefully she'll get to have friendships with those kids as we go on and um yeah but anyway should we read another one would you read one stuff actually i have i think we have like four letters so sometimes we have a lot of letters i'm just gonna make you help me i would love to help you out and read a letter okay just can't stand my own voice sometimes <laughs> this one is from nikki hi cancer for breakfast I love you ladies and your style. When my two-year-old, that's right, two-year-old, was diagnosed with neuroblastoma, I had never even Mm. heard of it before. Suddenly, I was one of those pathetic people they have fundraisers for. Oh, no. I couldn't believe I was part of the cancer community. I had to learn everything immediately so I could be a good mom and a good advocate for my little girl. I had to learn what every treatment felt like and what every med tasted like. I wanted to be able to tell her how she would feel before she felt it because that's what I thought a mom should do. But somewhere along the line, I realized that my job as a mom and as an advocate is actually not to know everything. It's to support her no matter what, because her experience is her experience, whether it's getting chemo or going on her first date. I just have to be there after to rub her back and let her tell me about it and make sure she has what she needs to be prepared. I never wanted to be in this community, but now it keeps me and my daughter both going every day. I don't even have cancer, but I feel like I have made cancer friends for life. Thanks for letting me share my story, Nikki. Nikki, thank you. And happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Nikki. Um... I, what struck me about this letter was that she is so early in the game and already so wise wise. about what it means to be a mom and be a steward of a little Mm -hmm. life in this world. God, what a hard position for both of you to be in right now. I wish you both the absolute best. Yeah. So hard, but you're doing such a good job, it sounds like. And so wise. Yeah. What's honestly strange is our next letter. I'm not going to give it away, but there's, I'll just read it because <laughs> we did not plan this. I swear to God, but this, this gal had the same thing that your daughter did when she was little. This is from Grace. Hi ladies. I've been catching up on your podcast and really enjoying it. I wanted to tell you about my mother, Mary. She has had a child with cancer twice, both times me. Sorry, mama. (laughs) I had cancer first when I was a baby and now again as an adult. When I was a baby, they found out I had a neuroblastoma in my neck and that was working its way into my spine. I was about eight months old. I grew up knowing about this and that I had surgery to remove the tumor. I knew that some had been left, but that later it was gone. Whether the miracle that they had prayed for or the spontaneous remission, I would hear stories about my mom taking me to a clinic in Mexico the following year for intensive holistic treatments. I remember getting labs done for several years, but for most of my life, cancer was a story told to me by others. When I was diagnosed with breast cancer at 36, my relationship with my mom was not at its best. We had spent a few years not seeing eye to eye or being able to connect. We had hurts that we had just begun to deal with. But as I asked her questions and we talked through what I was facing, I saw her experience through a different lens. I was the mother of young children and glad that the cancer was happening to me and not them. Yet here was my mother watching cancer happen to her child again. She was an encouragement as I walked through the different diagnosis and decisions. She and my dad told their stories of having to opt out of chemotherapy when I was one. They explained how they had advocated for me and sought out multiple opinions. The doctor did not have hope for a future for me and were making decisions with a shortened lifespan in mind. 
I have nerve damage on my neck and mouth throat due to their slightly reckless surgery. My parents believed I had a future and wanted me to be able to have children. Please keep in mind that the chemo of 1981 is very different from the chemo of today. These conversations helped me to learn to advocate for myself. I took her with me when I had follow-up biopsies and my surgeon was giving me attitude. I wanted a second set of eyes and ears in the room. I wanted to not feel alone against the surgeon. I knew my mother was used to this kind of stuff and not afraid to stand up for what we wanted. And it worked. They let her stay in the room with me while the surgeon took what seemed like an excessive number of biopsies. We went through the second diagnosis at 37 and the following surgery, chemo, radiation, and multiple types of endocrine therapy. She listened as I explained the different steps and options, asking questions, but ultimately always supporting what we chose to do. At 39, when I had my there's something that could possibly be the M-word scan. I talked to her about it. She always encourages me to not borrow trouble from the future, to not be anxious, but to lay all our worries on Jesus. And she also tells me that she wants me to know what's going on, even if I'm calling her crying. And when I did ultimately call her and my dad crying that I had metastatic cancer, she cried with me, but encouraged me to hope. Over the last couple of months, I've seen her grow in awareness of what I'm dealing with and support me even more. She knows I'm tired and tries to take certain of the family's responsibilities that often fall on me onto herself. Many of the words of wisdom that I have clung to over the years have come from her. She recently reminded me of the section in the Chronicles of Narnia where Aslan tells a child, I tell no one any story but their own reminding me that we each have our own unique story to remind me that just because something happened to someone else, my story is different and I don't know what will happen to me. I'm tempted to apologize to my mom for putting her through this twice, but I know it's not my fault. I still wish it were different, of course, but if there was ever a mother you wanted on your side when going through hard things, my mom is a good one to have. Thank you for advocating for me as a child and allowing me the opportunity to be a mother to Elida, Farah, and Elin. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you, ladies, for the work you're doing. I listened to the episode about Hocus Pocus cancer treatments, and as you may guess from this email, I identified somewhat with both sides. Like Chris, though, I did have surgery all three times. I've come to appreciate alternative therapies as complementary to traditional treatments. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have and will always be seeing doctors from all sides of medicine. I will not, however, ever submit myself to a naturopath or whoever who doesn't believe in both. That's the game. Yep. I've come a long way and have a ton of thoughts, but this is a Mother's Day email. And I just wanted to add this note since I'm obviously a person who has been on both sides of that perspective. All the best, Grace. Oh, thank you, Grace. And Yeah. I think that Amy and I are absolutely in agreement with you as far as your last paragraph goes. We are fully into complementary medicine. Totally. Especially when it comes with such obvious, like, informed research, as it sounds like your mom offered and that you've done too. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it sounds like you know, it's a good integrative medicine, right? Like, yes, coming from both sides of things and how you even say you wouldn't submit yourself to a naturopath or whoever that doesn't believe in both, you know, or vice versa, right? Yeah, exactly. And like way to go, your mom being so far ahead of the curve on that one and totally super involved in advocating for you and getting the right treatment and believing in you. Like that's just like a mom's job, right? You just have to believe in your child. Yeah. And I am not against her declining chemotherapy for you when you were a little kid. She clearly was very educated by seeing all those different doctors and making a decision, weighing the risks. Like I'm not against people declining chemo or whatever treatment, as long as they're, you know, they're not getting it from Chris Chris beats cancer. Who does it? (laughs) know if they should be declining surgery you know <laughs> like yeah totally but it is a like risk rewards for all of it but anyway yeah but like like grace said though i mean chemotherapy has come a long ass way so long so that's really cool i mean yes way to go and so crazy that it was the same type of cancer as 
the letter before that's daughter's going through right now. Yeah. And I also love how in your letter you say that the quote from the Chronicles of Narnia of like, I tell no one any story but their own and everyone has this, you know, unique story. And just because something happened to you doesn't mean it's going to happen to something else, somebody else. So like the young daughter now who's going through this isn't going to grow up and have metastatic breast cancer, you know? Right, right. But it is great to see how someone who had a, a pretty poor prognosis as a child did get to go on and live and have her babies. Yeah. Have her ups and downs with her mother. Right. That's so important to acknowledge, too. I think, you know, like we don't all have great relationships with our moms. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that like... Mother's Day is such a fraught holiday for so many people. Yeah. And it's not like everybody who ends up having cancer reconnects with their mom, but it's it's really awesome when you guys can overlook your differences and your mom can show up for you and really be the support that you need. Absolutely. Um, speaking of this next letter actually has a continuous theme as well. Ooh. It's like all these characters just keep emerging in the next letter, but slightly different. We're just like, we're reading you all a a Richard Brodigan novel right now. We're weaving a tapestry. (laughs) (laughs) We are trout fishing in America on a tapestry. Okay, so listen. It says, no stranger to cancer. I didn't think anything could be worse than losing my husband to that awful disease. Then my daughter, my child, everything you'd hope your child to be shared that she'd been diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. It was a gut punch that hurts every single day. I would gladly take this from her, from her family. I don't press for daily updates, believing she'll share what she's comfortable sharing and can only be there for her and for her family for whatever and whenever they need me. I worry for her loving partner and husband, her beautiful children but mostly for her. I can't even imagine what it's like for her. I just know I'm scared, but hopeful that with advancements in treatment, she'll manage to stay one step ahead of whatever is down the road. I'm thankful for her care team, her friends and support group, the outlets she's found to help her cope with this burden and podcasts like yours that educate and enlighten. In the meantime, we'll take this journey with her on a road where we're each in our own vehicle with her in the lead never knowing the twists and turns this highway will take. You see this amazing person I carried within my body and nourished from my breast all those years ago still means more to me than she could possibly know. Signed, a mum. So sweet, so nice, and so hard to be the parents or the loved ones of somebody going through cancer. Yeah. And I do love that analogy of everybody being in their own vehicle. Yes. With her in the lead. Yeah. Like, just tell us where to go. Here we are rallying behind you, but also not in the same vehicle. Oh, my God. No. Like telling you where to go. I want to listen to my own music. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, that was a feast of letters. I can't even believe it. It was a feast of letters. It was great. Thank you all so much for contributing. I hope everybody has a wonderful Mother's Day um, who wrote in and the best to everybody who is touched by this stupid disease that was written about. Yeah. For sure. Um, Um, We had a special request for rats this week. Wow. How entitled of that person to make a request. Who was it? It was you. Oh, it was right, you, right. Amy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I loved your request. So, shall we? We shall. was to learn about breast cancer and how it relates to pregnancy. Yes, please. Part of the reason I wanted you to do this, honestly, if I can just say it before you start, mm-hmm. 
is I touched upon it in the aim episode, but I like very quickly like blah, 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 about how I am a little bit obsessed with women who get diagnosed during pregnancy mm-hmm. or that whose cancer appeared during that time because that's when mine did. And it's just fascinating to me because as an older first time mother, like this is kind of like happening so much more in in our generation, I guess that people are waiting to have children more frequently. And then that's the risk is higher and that's happening more and showing up more, but it's like less studied because we used to have children so much younger, Mm -hmm. but the way I said it in the Amazon, like almost made it sound like it was way too simplified and didn't kind of like talk about how complicated it was. I don't know. I just didn't want people to hear it and be like, your baby gave you cancer, you know, which is like, <laughs> not like what I say in the episode, but I didn't. Yeah. Kinda, I wasn't a well-rounded thing because like, I don't believe that that's what's happening, but you explain us what's happening. And if I have anything else I want to throw in there, I would love to add it. Yes. So I bet that's actually a question on a lot of people's minds when they see women who are diagnosed during pregnancy or shortly thereafter. It's a totally legit thing because we know that so much of breast cancer is driven by hormones. Um, And as a matter of fact, breast cancer is the most commonly diagnosed cancer during pregnancy. Um, You can get diagnosed with any kind of cancer during pregnancy, but um, breast cancer is the most common. And um, there is not a ton known about how breast cancer relates to hormones during pregnancy. There is some known, but it is unethical to do tests on women during pregnancy that we don't know the outcome of, you know, or we don't, we don't know how those tests will affect the mother or the fetus. So they're pretty limited as far as what they can research. And um, I got all of this information mainly from two papers. One is by Kolditz and Rosner, and it's called The Cumulative Risk of Breast Cancer to Age 70. And it was printed in the American Journal of Epidemiology in 2000. And the other is called Non-Genetic Factors in the Causation of Breast Cancer. And it's in a book that was released in 2010 called Diseases of the Breast. Um, both of those made clear that they are still learning a lot about this process and how it works, what happens. Um, But what we do know is that there are some things that affect your risk. Um, One is having your first child at age 35 or younger is net overall a protection. So um, your risk of developing breast cancer Um, rises for about 10 years after your first birth. But if you have your first child at 35 or younger, um, after that 10-year period, your risk drops below that of women who have never had a live birth. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have your first child after age 35, you're 40% more likely to get breast cancer than women who had their first child before the age of 20. Now, that to me is sort of a weird statistic because um, to me, I I would guess that there are some other factors at play there that may offset the risk of being a young mother. Um, Anyway, Mm -hmm. that's that's the the gist. Right. Right. Like what? other risk factors are not being counted in this study that like a 19 year old might have who's pregnant. Right. Exactly. And, um, you know, stress levels, things like that, I would, I would guess Mm -hmm. are very different. Um, and also the likelihood that you'll be breastfeeding, which lowers your risk, you know, you get cumulative benefit for the number of years that you breastfeed. So all of that kind of factors in, um, but those three things are, are what we know for a fact. First child at 35 or younger, overall protective risk increases for 10 years after your first birth. It's also hard to get people involved in these long-term studies. So, right. um, 
there, you know, there are lots and lots of factors that make this difficult to understand. Um, Mm. That's what I'm reading anyway. It seems like scientists and researchers really do have a hard time because um, you, so many women are, are having children that it's, you know, it's just a difficult thing to base your research on an entire half of the population of the world. So, and also like, what were the people who did not have a child until they were 38 doing when they're the other people were raising children at 25, 26, whatever age, staying home every night, watching Disney movies, getting up early. I mean, these 35 year olds are down at the club till three in the morning, (laughs) not speaking from experience here, but like what other risk factors are these people doing? It's true. Uh, I mean, like, I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of joking, but at the same time, there are so many different things going on. I think that's valid. And there is absolutely no way that I can think of to like integrate all these mitigating factors into the research. Mm -hmm. So that's why I said it has to be really, really insanely hard to, do research on an entire half of the population you know like how do you do research on women i don't know but right. anyway <laughs> we should never mind that's gonna make a bad joke about changing your voice into a man's voice <laughs> how do you do research on women anyway it's just like <laughs> typical they're so confusing um so anyway what also we know about cancer during pregnancy, breast cancer specifically, is that um, besides it being the most commonly diagnosed cancer, that there are actually a lot of safe ways to treat breast cancer during pregnancy. And obviously, like none of this is fun or what you want. Yeah, it's not your plan as you're getting pregnant. And then also, like oftentimes I know that they induce as soon as it seems safe to right. do so to get the baby out if if you can do such a thing but like what a fucking shit show to have to like have your new mom days be spent in this hellhole so hearts out to everybody yeah who has to deal with that stuff it's just so unfair totally um and just also to have your future be uncertain and also be dealing with, you know, all of the things that we talked about, about being a new mom and having your heart just open to the world um, Mm -hmm. while you're going through treatment and right after just is the worst. Um, But there is a doctor um, named Dr. Elise Cardonic, and she is the foremost specialist on breast cancer during pregnancy. She's an OBGYN and a maternal fetal medicine specialist, and she is collecting data in a registry um, of women diagnosed while pregnant. Hmm. And she is part of this organization called hopefor2.org. And in addition to collecting data for this registry, which will then give her information about why women are diagnosed, what they have in common, mm-hmm. um, how their treatment goes based on the type of cancer they have and all that. Um, they're also doing this really cool thing, which is matching women who were pregnant while they had breast cancer with women who are currently pregnant with breast oh, cancer. Nice. So there's like a mentorship kind of thing. I love that. I do too. And I thought that was a really, really neat thing that the organization is doing. Um mm-hmm. And one thing that I know we talk about a lot when we're talking about motherhood and breast cancer specifically, because so it's so often hormone driven, is is it safe to have a child, to carry a child after you have treatment? And what I read in these papers, the Colditz and Rosner paper and this non-genetic factors in the causation of breast cancer paper um, are that they have realized that having a child after treatment does not worsen your survival rate. So you can, if you have viable eggs or if you've frozen eggs, you can absolutely go on to carry a child without... Or if you didn't go into chemo right, menopause, right. which exactly. very often you don't. Yeah. Um, 
you can go on to carry a pregnancy successfully without worrying about your hormones just like going balls to the wall crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was told um like they advise you to be on tamoxifen or whatever for two years Mm -hmm. at least before you go off of it. And then they really only want you to stay off of it and try to get pregnant for a certain period of time Yeah, where you're still kind of covered. And also like for my estrogen positive HER2 negative type, I think that your first two years are sort of like higher risk times and then it kind of goes down Mm -hmm. for a little while and then goes back up a few years later at some point for another couple of years. I'm not exactly sure of the whole trajectory, but during that right after the two years is kind of a a safe time to go off and and try for however long. And I have a friend who did it successfully, um, naturally, and she even breastfed out of her one breast that hadn't had anything done to it um and they let her do that for six months which i thought was amazing yeah and then she went off breastfeeding and went back onto tamoxifen so you know and she she was actually really um lucky enough to get pregnant like i think within the first few months too so but i mean like what a stress to like be like okay the clock's ticking like i don't want to be off tamoxifen for too long so like you know and then you get into like you know eight months down the road and you know like i mean i don't really honestly know the safe amount of time but i know i think i think she said it was kind of like let's see what happens in a year you know but yeah if it doesn't let's kind of talk about maybe going back on yeah um one thing that i forgot to say is that um one of the reasons why this happens sometimes in pregnancy, which was actually the answer to your question. I should have gotten to this a long time ago, but um, <laughs> um, I didn't even know you didn't answer it. So sorry. <laughs> um, so what happens is the reason why one of the reasons, at least why we know that women of quote unquote advanced maternal age like you, you bet. <laughs> Um, I'm sorry, but uh, at least I got to go to the club when I was 33 and dance. It's what true. were you my, doing? My last pregnancy, getting was, hugged. <laughs> <laughs> I had my last pregnancy was a, I believe my midwife did use the term geriatric pregnancy one time. And I was oh, like, yeah. oh, you bitch. Um, <laughs> you made it into my club. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, we know that as you get older, the risk of your cells mutating and in a bad way mm-hmm. is greater, right? And also during pregnancy, your breast cells grow rapidly. And so the two things combined means that your breast cells are growing rapidly and there's a higher risk of those very cells mutating and cancer mm-hmm. developing. So that is why sometimes um, people develop cancer or their cancer seems to kind of take off during pregnancy Mm -hmm. it's because you already had those cancer cells in your body or they were already happening um and then they're just dividing very rapidly so it was not Josie's fault yeah (laughs) I always okay can I tell you like you know how you make up your own theories before you talk to your doctor about how things oh yeah scientifically would work like this is my theory about why breastfeeding when you're younger and the cell turnover Okay, it's like, if you breastfeed when you're 22, and you have two children, two years apart, breastfeed them both, you still have all the cell turnover, rapid, 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 crazy ass hormones. But because you're younger, your cells are making way less mistakes, but they're still doing it so fast that they become like pros. Then they're so fucking good at it that they just like don't make mistakes because they've done it five million times. And then that's why those people are less likely to get it. And then when you're older, this is how I make it up in my head. I have no idea. I might, I might be right. I don't know. Maybe. Um, and then when you're older, you have, your boobs have just been normal and not doing anything fast. And so all of a sudden they're like, go fast, but your cells just make more mistakes anyway when you're older. And so then it's like, boom, it's on and you don't have that it's like if somebody made you do a ropes course, like spontaneously <laughs> <laughs> now versus when you were 22. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like, that muscle memory. Yeah. Like run through like <laughs> tires, like a 
Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, an obstacle course. That's what obstacle I'm talking about. Obstacle course. Exactly. Um, yeah. If you tried to make me do one of those now, I would fall on my face immediately. Maybe that's just what happened. My breast cells were like, oh, God. Yeah. We can't do this. But I breastfed for 10 fucking years. 10 solid years. It's I, not fair. I should have... I should have been protected, but it was mm-hmm. all a lie. Just kidding. I love breastfeeding. <laughs> I'm a breastfeeding yeah. advocate. Don't let me turn you off. But if you're doing it, <laughs> if you're doing it only for the cancer benefit, it's a sham. Can I also just say, like, because they don't know and they cannot just like study healthy women's actual cells in the way they would need to and breast cancer cells at the earliest to even know what's going on with them, where they're making these mistakes. Like, like you were saying that like those mistake cells already could be there before you're even pregnant. Mm -hmm. Like that is something that is important to bring up. And that's kind of like, that's right. at Why I kind of wanted you to cover this is because like, and I've talked to my doctors about this. So this isn't just the thing I make up in my mind that makes sense. This is like, I've talked to my doctor. (laughs) Yeah. But like, who's to say that I wouldn't have gotten breast cancer at a more average age, like 55 or 60. But like, there's a huge chance that if I didn't get pregnant, this would have grown in me anyway. And maybe I wouldn't have noticed it because I wouldn't have been breastfeeding and maybe it wouldn't have grown so big so fast where it was noticeable because as many of you know size their learning doesn't matter as much and you can have a very very small very very deadly tumor mm-hmm. or a very large one or a very large one that hasn't spread like mine was yeah. so who knows if it would have grown in a slower way but a more um metastasized you know situation and i mean if i hadn't gotten pregnant breast cancer could have killed me a few years from now anyway you know what I mean so I don't know there is just it's just a big old what if and it's freaking fascinating to me and I can't wait to find out more that they figure out about it but yeah I mean I get that like too I understand why the research would be so slow going because like you said you can't research healthy women's breast tissue and just wait for them to develop cancer I mean like I'm Mm -hmm. sure people are doing that but when it's that versus like trying to research cures and things like that, um, one is obviously going to be prioritized. And it is, it's just science is always changing and what we understand is always changing. And what we saw from Susan's letter is that it has not been a priority for the medical field for, right. for very long. So women in the 50s, 60s, 70s were not getting the kind of attention that they deserved as far as understanding Mm -hmm. this disease and understanding why it happens to us. Um, And so like 40 years in this scheme of science is kind of a long time, but for understanding how bodies work, it's sure as hell not that long. Right. But luckily, as I like to say, it's exponentially getting better and so much faster all the time. Totally. Such a shorter amount of time. Also wanted to bring up the fact that they don't screen you until you're 40 Mm -hmm. if you don't have genetic risk factors for breast cancer. So women in their late 30s who are getting pregnant, who are then developing breast cancer, like you could have been the people I could have been the person who is not a mother who goes to my first mammogram two months ago at 40 and finds out I have breast cancer. Yep. And then it could have been a lot smaller, you know, but it's like, I mean, like, I don't know what change in screening they could do. Like if maybe it's like 35 to 45, if you're going to have your first child and you know, you're trying to get pregnant, come in for a mammogram early, you know, I mean, I think, yeah, that's why I think so. The statistic that I read the other day was that like 80, it was like between 70 and 80% of breast cancer is first suspected by the person themselves who has it. Mm -hmm. And so that means that self-exam campaigns are working. Yeah. And I do understand the, like, um, the push to rely a little bit less on these like diagnostic procedures and stuff, but there has to be some kind of middle ground where we aren't losing so many women to a disease that is detectable. Right. Um, 
Well, I just don't understand why ultrasounds are so underutilized for just because. Yeah, you have to Those like mortgage your kidney to get a fucking ultrasound. Yeah. Well, they should make us the head of some hospital. <laughs> so we'll at least have one good hospital in this country. <laughs> Amy and Steph. <laughs> I don't want to say Memorial Hospital. Hospitals but... <laughs> for breakfast by Amy and Steph. Um, all right. Well, that was a very wonderful rats. It was very long. It was very near to my dear heart. Mm, me too. Great. Any other thoughts on any of that stuff? Uh, I just really hope that um, folks who are maybe mother adjacent listening to this will maybe find a mom in their life that they feel isn't getting her due, whether that's Mm. a cancer mom or a single mom, your neighbor who doesn't, you know, have a great relationship with her kids for whatever reason, even if it's her own fault. I feel like my heart just goes out to moms on Mother's Day who don't get the breakfast in bed and who yeah. don't get spoiled. Um, and something that I challenge myself to do every year is to find somebody who's not getting the attention that they deserve and maybe treat them a little bit. So um, I challenge you to do that, too. Not you personally, Amy, but just everybody. It's a Oh, I don't challenge. have to do it? Come on. I'll do it. <laughs> what all right i challenge you personally amy to <laughs> I can handle that i think that's a great challenge oh. um that's a, a wonderful idea yeah mother's day can be a rough one for sure um all right well i mean shoot happy mother's day everyone listening please um i hate being like rate us rate us but fucking just rate us who cares you know just it's our mother's day gift from you to us right that's right it is and um yeah subscribe if you want to also that means a lot like if you think this podcast is worthwhile then um that helps us get a little bit of a wider reach and share it with your friends thanks everyone thanks for listening and happy mother's day happy mother's day and happy mother's day stuff happy mother's day amy bye 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 Cancer for Breakfast is hosted by Amy Diles and Stephanie Lejeunesse and produced by Nathan McGeehee. Our theme music is written and performed by Vivivir. Find us at cancerforbreakfast.com, Instagram at cancerforbreakfast, and email at cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening.